Susie Meister. Woo! <laughs> Hello. It was like I swam over here. I know, right? Suze. The river in my neighborhood I saw out front. You must have had to like bring your like best galoshes. <laughs> you know I did. <laughs> I know. It's the worst. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm like scared as I'm driving through all these hills that, you know, they've got like the, 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 you know, the parts where it gets, where it's like not a hill where all the water collects. And then I drive through and I'm like terrified that the kids are going to be like walking home from school when I leave. And like, I'm going to yeah. splash some kid and like, it's going to be, like, I don't know, he's going to have it in his memory of like, oh, that awful day when that Jeep splashed me. And- <laughs> well, and I, I, when I was driving home last night, you know, it was drizzling then. And then as soon as I got into our neighborhood, I was like in the cloud, you know, because we're up on that oh, yeah, the yeah, mountain. Yeah. And so it's like the fog just settles over my oh, house. Yeah, so yeah. as oh. you, you know, no, it's, it, it can be bad that- elsewhere, but then it gets worse whenever yeah. you get here. But, yeah, and it does have like a kind of depressing look outside. But you bring the sunshine with you. That's oh, all I can ask Suze, for. Thank you <laughs> so much. I'm you so know, mad. It, there was, oh, Go what ahead. are you mad about? Oh, I was going to say there was, that uh, Tribuco Canyon up by where I live got evacuated because of flood stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, I was overhearing ladies at Target talking about it. Oh, my gosh. It must have been like a flash flood type thing. Yeah, I think <clears> so. <throat> but not me. So I'm well, not there anyway. I was going to say I'm so mad because before we started recording, you were telling me how before you came over here, you went to Target. <laughs> yep. That's where you I heard the ladies talking. You have to retell it. Okay. Such okay. A great I have to. I mean, I can't rob you guys of this amazing story. So remember <laughs> how we were talking about how I ordered that thing at, at Kohl's and the sweatshirt showed up. Yeah. And so I took it back and like I got, they refunded it and they gave me a gift card and I was like, sweet, free $50. <laughs> and I only spent like 20 Right. And so really three, free 30 bucks. Um, and oh, I still have that gift card. I need to use that. Anyways, not the story. So then th- last night I come home and I'm thinking also in the back of my mind is Susie's story of her getting a freaking fancy ass ring from Nordstrom <laughs> when she ordered something. So last right. night I come home from the clinic and on the front porch, I'm like, what the heck is it? And what the heck is this? You know, on Valentine's day is like going to be coming up or it's like right around the corner. So, uh, uh, I was like, oh, this is probably a gift that Landon got me. And as I get closer, I see what it is. And it's a freaking baby crib. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell kind of mean practical joke is this? And then I think, okay, well, our next door neighbor is two doors down are pre- is pregnant. So maybe this is for her. And then I check the name on it. Nope, Sarah Patterson. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> so then I like open it up and I see that I had ordered a belt and on the shipping label or shipping inventory or invoice or whatever it says that it's a belt. So I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, no. well, you know, nice for me because ordered a belt. Now I got like a two hundred and fifty plus dollar crib. I'm gonna exchange it, get a gift card just like a Kohl's. So to go to Target, it's freaking as you know, and as we said, pouring down rain. And I, like because I'm from California, I do not have my umbrella in the car. So I'm lugging this huge crib. It, and you know, Target parking lot's not exactly front row. So I'm like front walking a hundred yards in the pouring down rain, like drenching, you know, soaking wet. Pull that thing up, and customer service. I'm like, 
you know, trying to like lying by omission by like yeah. just saying the least amount to like not be an actual liar. So yeah. Like, this showed up. I don't know what it is. It could be a gift. Maybe da 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 da. And they're like, oh, you don't have a receipt? No, I don't. Oh, you don't have the word? No, I don't. Ah, uh, well, sorry. There's nothing we can do for you. I'm like, you Wait have to a call minute. Customer service. Yeah. First of all, I don't get that because <laughs> me I too. Thought- I thought that was not Target's policy. Yeah, because I thought you were allotted like, I forget what the number is, but two or three a year where even if you don't have the receipt and they can't find it on your card, they'll give you store credit if they yeah, sell may- the maybe item. Maybe I've already, maybe I've like already used that. No, it's the beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Is it? I don't know how that works, but I definitely have not. I mean, I always have my receipt. I, I'm like very organized with that and i ordered everything online so you can like do all the returns i don't know but this they they were like they didn't even bother looking it up or doing anything i think it's hilarious though because you said after they said no you were like yeah anyway it came instead of a belt like you fessed up well yeah (laughs) well i mean like i i talked to the to the customer service people i was on hold for like 40 minutes no joke as I'm walking through Target, hoping that maybe they're going to do something. And so I, you know, I'm on hold for all this time. I'm, I live far away from a Target, you know, right. I live far away from freaking everything. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I'm like waiting in line, all this. And they're like, yeah, you know, you, what you're going to do is you can just leave it there. looks like there was a mix up, just drop it off. Oh and, you know, for all your troubles, we'll give you a $5 <laughs> Target gift card. I was like, Oh. You should have kept it and sold That's it. That's what I'm saying. Damn. And I should have just sold it on Let Go or like on Craigslist or something. And then, you know, but this is what, good riddance, whatever. This is like what karma we, for, what do you, for the $50, you have $30 like a, that I got from Kohl's before. It all evens out now with I my guess. time. What's yeah. that phrase you call it though where like, oh, bank error in your favor. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. I was just saying that the other day. Bank error in your favor. Shush. Yeah. One of the girls at the clinic, she like w- was over on hours. Like she was like, I don't know. These extra hours just showed up and I was like, Shh, don't t- yeah. bank error in your favor. Don't, you don't talk about that. You just go with it. I just love that this stuff happens to you. And I really love that you saw that crib and thought that Landon was like, just really bad at buying gifts. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What is this?" Is it? I mean, I was like, "Okay, well, maybe that's like sweet because he's like trying to say like, let's start trying again, or like, <laughs> what is this?" And then part of me like, and it was like, I mean, it was cute. It would totally work. It was like this white crib, but then it was a, uh, like a compact size, like a small crib. And I was oh like, "Well, God. you know, that is a small room. You know, I don't know what even like." But. And then I love also <laughs> that when you came in the house that Landon was like, do you have something to tell me? Yeah. He was like, so. He like made a joke about it too. <laughs> so. Uh, I hope this stuff keeps me? happening to you because it oh, really it, makes me laugh. Don't worry. No problem. It will. <laughs> this is how, this is story of Sarah's life. Well, I, that would have been a terrible gift. One thing that is a great gift, as Sarah knows, is Rothy's shoes. Oh my gosh. I have been talking about this to everyone recently. Yeah. They make, I never thought of shoes as a good gift, but you started giving these to your lady friends and I think it's such a good idea. The best. They all love them. Right. And that's the thing is it's a guaranteed make someone happy gift because the shoes that you can get, they have different styles, but they're like the flat, the point, the loafer, the sneaker, and they have them in women's sizes and girls sizes, but they're just really comfortable, but they look cute with everything, (laughs) which never happens. Can you like little Easter mom and daughter in the matching Rothy's? Oh my gosh, mommy and and me fashion ones and like 
these like new tiger print ones that are so cute. Yeah, they're always launching new colors and patterns and stuff, so it's fun to check them out. And here's what I really love is that they're washable because then you know a lot of times you buy shoes and they get gross and then that's the end. But yeah. this, you can wash them and then they're literally as good as new. So that's why I love about them and they're made from recycled plastic, so they're sustainable, good for the environment. Um, and... That's why I love Rothy's, and I know you will too. And right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners. Just use code BRAINCANDY to get free shipping with no minimum, free shipping, free returns on ex- or exchanges on your Rothy's shoes. But trust me, you won't return them. Go to rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com, and enter BRAINCANDY to get your new favorite flats and free shipping. No-brainer, shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable, and free shipping. Get yourself a pair today, rothys.com, promo code BRAINCANDY. Get the deal while it lasts. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, okay. Let me pu- pull up my... I need, oh, okay. Let's see. Lots of things mm. to talk about today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I read... Oh, you know what? I'll stay on the subject of fashion because yeah. you might have seen this recently in the news, which is... <laughs> I don't know how this happens, but apparently a lot of fashion labels and whatever you'd call that... Um, clothing and shoes, whatever. Keep making crap that looks like blackface. Have oh, you seen this? my God. Gucci's stupid sweater? Yes. Holy crud. I couldn't believe this thing. How does that I mean, happen? How does that get down the line? Like, for real. Right. Because we Suits. know how many people have to green light something. Yep. At a company like Gucci that's not like, eh, whatever, just some lady in, in one. So dumb. Yeah. Do you think that they're doing this to try that? Oh, Oh, like no press is bad press. Yeah. (gasps) But this, that doesn't make sense because I mean, like freaking a, so the sweater that Sarah's talking about was like kind of like a turtleneck that then you could pull up over your mouth, but it had a hole for your lips, but then it had like red around your lips. So you, it basically looked like true blackface from like the 1920s. And I don't even know who would wear something like that, A. And also, it's racist. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do, do you oh think God. it could be possible <clears throat> that all those people did not notice what it looked like? Come on. Oh, my God. I, love, I mean, it really <laughs> shows that there's not a single person. Uh, like, do you have any, anyone who is right. black on your on your well, design right. team. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. That, that, I think that shows the need for, you know, diversity and, and representation for in sure. these yeah. businesses. Because that's like, and then, you know, I remember when I worked for Gucci, this is like, you know, the conspiracy theorist to me is like, mm, okay. what could be going on? Because when I worked for Gucci, they would have us, like, we would have team meetings and I felt uncomfortable with the way that they talked about what they called, quote unquote, urban clientele Mm -mm. for real, Suze. And this was like 10 plus years ago. And I was like, "Mm." and one of the guys, we had two guys on my team, on on the sales team. I worked in men's, in menswear, and we had two guys with us who were black men and they felt the same. I mean, they... 
they we would we would talk about this how we're like yeah. mm, that feels really really uncomfortable and you just have to and, ugh, we just kept our mouth shut you know and i that remember we were talking about regrets yeah those are the things i've been thinking about that a lot mm-hmm. i think those are the times where i feel regrets for knowing what i know now i should have absolutely ugh. I would agree with that. I've thought the same thing. Like I would handle something differently now in that respect, like standing yeah. up for people and things like that. Yeah. And I'd be like, okay, go ahead. Fire me. Right. Fire me for saying that this is not an acceptable way to talk about a community. Well, and so then I, it makes me think that like, are they trying to do something to yeah, dissuade that population from shopping there? So they can oh. go back to it being a luxury brand Wait. for... Would they kind of talk about they didn't want <clears throat> urban clientele? They were they were like, well, this is what they buy, and this is what <gasps> everybody else buys. Uh huh. Oh no. Yes, Suze. Okay, that sucks. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I should. Yeah, thank you for asking the follow up questions because uh, I didn't get that. I thought that they just sort of you know acknowledged. I didn't realize they didn't maybe want those people buying it. Well, it seemed like they were really. They were very aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back, you know, in the early 2000s, I was a, what they call a fit model for a company. And like, once I did that, I realized how many people are involved in a t-shirt. Or mm-hmm. a pair of jeans. How many people look at it on a human body? Like I'm just standing there in these jeans and they all just sit there and talk about it. Is this right? Is that right? There's so many right. people, so many right. voices saying, what about this? What about this cut? Or is it the waist height? Whatever it is. So I cannot imagine, for example, there there have been other things. Like Katy Perry has these little mule slipper Mm-hmm. And they are pointy toe, and they are black, and I have a face on them. And she discontinued them this week. And oh, they, I have to see those. Yeah, Google that. And oh my then, gosh! Okay, let me do like right um, Grace Coddington, who I, she worked for Vogue. She might still. Um, there's she's very famous. She's been with them forever. And there was a picture of her. I think it was on Instagram. And in her house, and you could see on the shelf behind her the the Mamie style pottery, like cookie mm. jars or flower jar or whatever. Mm. And so the article that I was reading was saying that fashion in general has a real blind spot for racism. But yeah. I don't know how that is happening unless it's what you're saying where they're just not hiring people of color. So there's yeah. nobody to be like, oh, that's super racist. I think that's it. That, and those shoes do look questionable. Not okay. Yeah, they especially because really they're only in the color black. Yeah, and I mean they had it's like black and nude, but it it really does look like uh uh you know mocking. I mean yeah, like uh what are they called? The minstrel. You know, yes, thank yeah. you, Suze. You, you always, and then there the were um, Prada had these. Little kind of like keychains they would hang off of purses last year, and they yeah. looked like monkeys. And oh, people were yeah. like, um, and they were yeah. like, what? This is not supposed to be representing. They truly seemed shocked that anyone would take that away from it. Mm-hmm. But now they've hired that Ava Duvarney, I think I'm saying that right. Oh, I don't know. To be a consultant, you know, she makes all those TV shows. Um, 
She's always working with Oprah. I think she produced that movie that Oprah was in. I'm pulling a Sarah right now. Yeah, I love this. I think it's at Ava on Twitter. She's super famous. You would know her to see. Anyway, she's going to be like a consultant for for helping them be Mm -hmm. sensitive to racial issues, which I really appreciate. Oh, yes. I know who she is. Okay, cool. Yeah. (laughs) What does she make? A Wrinkle in Time, Selma. Yeah. Damn, she's got no. quite the track record, or quite the yeah. She's the a badass bitch. Yeah, she is. Get a girl. Yeah, they need more people like that. They need <clears throat> like they need to hire people who will be like, uh, yo, white people, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> Check um, yourself. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's I, I don't know whether it's intentional for publicity or to lessen the quote-unquote mm-hmm. urban mm-hmm. clientele or mm-hmm. if it's true ignorance, but whatever it is, is not good. Right. Um, what is good is getting <laughs> leggings that are adorable and not controversial in any way. Oh, yeah. Totally From not at all. Fabletics. Mm-hmm. They, I hope people are taking advantage of this deal because the, they have so many different kinds of leggings that are super cute they have all different styles and high-waisted and mid, mid-rise mid and all this different stuff, but they look super cute, even though they're oh, yeah. super comfy. And so whether you're going to the gym or getting a cup of coffee or even you could wear them with heels, I think. That's oh, like, my gosh. For sure. Yeah. I and think they, leggings, heels, leather jacket, white t-shirt, you're, it's perfect outfit. Right? And Just, cute. You know, your Rothy shoes. Hello. Who's that gal, uh, Olivia Newton-John in Greece, when she oh, wore those leggings? Yes. Tell me about it, stud. <laughs> right. So here's the scoop. Um, go to fabletics.com slash brain candy, and you can take this 60-second style quiz so they'll get the sense of, like, what you like to wear and what type of workout you might be doing. It, you know, in my case, it's, like, not very much, just a little bit. Um, but... They'll tell you like what they recommend for you, and you can get two pairs of their leggings for only twenty four dollars. I it's mean, a, come on, I, I know, no brainer. It's a ninety nine dollar value, and basically, you're not going to want to take them off. That's my policy now. I've become a legging wearer. I never was before. I always thought they were too casual, but now they're so cute. But you go to fabletics.com slash brain candy, and you get those two pair of leggings. Um, for twenty four bucks, ninety nine dollar value. Can't uh, beat it with a stick. When you sign up for the VIP situation, um, and they're basically their mission is to empower women by making a healthy, active lifestyle accessible to everyone. And I really like that they have a affordable price point and and look good. Check it out, fabletics.com slash brain caddy. Um, okay, did you read about the? Chinese mm-hmm. video game mm-hmm. called <laughs> Chinese Parents. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. This Ta- is Chinese Parents. Chinese Parents. It's all the rage in Asia where you have to raise your little digital baby from the cra- cradle to uh, college, I guess, uh-huh. without, you know, screwing them up or. Good luck. <laughs> I think it's so funny because even though those little things, probably when you were little, they had them. Those, yeah, Tamagotchis. Yeah, did you have one? Oh, I sure did. Mine always died. So what were, I never had one. It was like Ugh, before it was or after my time. So what was yeah. that about? It was the same idea, right? 
Yeah, so it was this little keychain that looked like an egg, and you'd get it, and your little animal would hatch, and you would have a few little buttons on this little egg that would be like, feed it, or take it for a walk, or whatever you do. And if you forgot to do that, then it would die or get sick or <laughs> I can't remember if it w- there was like a reset or bring it back to life mode or if you just oh. had to buy a new one. A whole new thing? Because that would be genius if they made it <laughs> so. Oh. I just wonder, I wonder why this is like a thing in Asia though where uh, child rearing is gameplay. Why do you think? Mm. I, child... Um, I mean, is this just a digitalized version of playing with er, dolls? Oh, I guess so. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking that it is. But then, the oh man, this—if you really—if we really unpack this, this is deep. Because then I think, okay, if this is that, and if this is a substitution for you know, instead of having a little baby doll that you play with and play house with or whatever, mm-hmm. you have your little online pet or your little Tamagotchi because it was pr- pretty much the same age. Like, I was about seven or eight when when this thing, when I was playing with this thing where I could be playing <clears throat> house or doing that. And I wonder if when it is on a screen, you lose that, like, nurturing part where you're not, like, holding it and loving it. It becomes mm-hmm. more of a task, like yeah. check the box because you have to feed it. And then it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. Does, well, does the purpose of parenting, is it to just keep the thing alive or to, to right. you know, comfort well, it and love it's it? It's more and, than that though because you have to, you can't screw it up either. Like it can't end up in jail or... <laughs> like what, what, I feel like, is this like a, a choose your own adventure book where like... You get the option, and it's like, okay, how are you going to deal with it? He got a he got yes, an A minus. Kind of. Are you going to yeah. beat him up, or are you going to yeah. say do yeah. better next next time? Yeah, it's well, like then that. maybe this is teaching good parenting skills. Well, and it seems that the people playing it aren't kids. It's oh. uh, older, you know, older kids or you know, teenagers and young adults. Well, do you think it could be a substitution for, you know, what's the what's the What's the population? Oh my God! I was just watching something last night on China and how the government there is is f- like forcing women to have babies. Yeah, things have really gone haywire. Oh, it's really, in that really department. bad. It's a, really bad. A lot of the kids that were interviewed in the New York Times about this said, though, that it helped them understand their parents more. Oh well, that's good. Yeah. Did they like, say what it was that they understood? What? They said that when they were growing up, their parents were hard on them and were always pushing them and they didn't really appreciate why. And now they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Oh my because gosh. I play okay, this well, game. Man, that's good then. Yeah. It's just Is a it? curious trend to me. It's, yeah. It seems fine. It doesn't seem like a problem, but it just seems odd to me that this is how they find entertainment because I, mm-hmm. I would not find that fun. No, and I'm, re- but you know, I'm also not one of those people who enjoys like Second Life or or what's that yeah, other one? Yeah, Sim City or something. Sim City or anything like that. You know, it's <laughs> I I find it really interesting that people can be very uh, when I think about playing video games, and especially when you're in like a you know first person player posi- like game where you know any of those Fortnite or or any of those shooting games or you know, yeah whatever or even something like sim city or sim life or whatever they are that 
you're in a way being very, very mindful as you play. You know, you're, you're playing with intention. You're very in the moment. You're not mm-hmm. thinking about what you, happened 10, 15 minutes ago in the game or what's going to happen in the next level. You're like in the moment. Okay. And how we live mindfully when we're using these avatars. But then when we stop and we're in our regular life, we don't. <laughs> Why do you think and, that is? Uh, I think people forget what it is about that video game or don't realize what it is about the video game that they enjoy, how it's like you do have to be in the moment and there are struggles and then you overcome them or you you know beat the level and even if it's difficult, you keep trying and you keep going and you keep doing it. And I, it would be so great if we applied those same concepts to regular life and like almost think of it as you know, video game. Why do you think, though, that it's so hard to do that in real life? I think there are so many distractions, and there are so many yeah. things that keep us in the past or in the future. I'm worried about this. I, I should have done this. I, you know, you see commercials that, you know, whatever it is. Oh, my gosh, I didn't save enough. Oh, my gosh, I need to check my, I don't know, insurance. Uh, whatever it is. Like, look is at the, all this- these things I could be dying from on the commercials of business <laughs> and this drug is this thought about the um, when you're playing games, you're in the moment? Is that your theory, or you read something about it? Uh, no, I just I that's just like my theory, and I I feel like you know that that is how you are when you play. Games. I'm surprised you're not into video games. You seem like the type. I am into certain ones. Like when I find one that I really love, I'll play that for a while. But now the new ones, they move so fast. They kind of make, mm-hmm. they give, they make me dizzy. They give me like motion sickness. <laughs> You're getting old. I, I know. Do. I think so. I wish I'm one of those people that grew up with the very simple controllers and it just seems like there's too many buttons now. There are. These. I don't know what to do with them all. Did I tell you about the time where I went over to a friend's house and with her kids and I came in like real hot to the video game? Like, oh yeah, I'm going to beat everybody. <laughs> and I didn't even get pa- like, I, I mean, because they laughed of the, me. the buttons? Yeah. Yeah, it's too much. And everything was so different. I used to be so good at video games. Right. Not you now. have to get those like retro ones, the vintage yeah. throwbacks. Like my left and right hand do not coordinate in the way that they need to for these new <laughs> video games. So get a oh, bucket by seven-year-olds. I know. We have to just stick with board games. Yeah, there we go. We know what we're good at. Yeah, except your kid beats me at Clue, so I don't know what I got Oh, my God. And now he, my kid got... So we had the Clue Junior, which I think is what we played with you, and then you got us the normal Clue. Mm-hmm. And he's still good. I can't believe it. I can't... I could not believe that. He doesn't win anymore, but he still plays at the same level as me and Adam. I can't believe it. But it's good he doesn't win. Well, yeah, no. I'm not letting him. That's for fucking sure. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? He will soon. I know. I know. I'm trying to enjoy it while I Enjoy those moments while you got him because, uh, God, I can't believe when he beat me in that game. I was like, I know I'm winning. And then (laughs) so annoyed. Wasn't it that you guessed wrong, though, or something? Yeah. (laughs) The preemptive guessing. And then he looked at me and, like, was like, sucker. Amateur rookie mistake. <laughs> um, okay, changing the subject. Mm-hmm. I read this super great article about 
something I had never thought of, which is that court reporters or stenographers Mm -hmm. should have to be trained in quote unquote black English. Oh. Where what's happening, someone did a study, is that the court reporters and the stenographers do not understand what's being said by some of the people on trial mm-hmm. and some of the witnesses and people that are speaking in a vernacular that is not sort of the, the queen's English. Yeah. And so they're making mistakes and those oh. mistakes have implications about sentencing. Absolutely. They do. And I never thought about it. Oh my God. Those little things. And, and also, Oh my God, that's very important. Right? You're almost getting the, since they're writing in shorthand, you're getting an abbreviated version based on the opinion of the stenographer. Yes. Ooh, that could be dangerous. Yeah, and sort of their, yeah, interpretation of what they heard, yes. which isn't yes. actually what was said. Yeah. Is, are, did they give any examples? <clears throat> yeah, they did, although I don't remember them because I don't understand black English either. And so it gave specific ways that the English language is used and the way words mean different. Oh, oh, wait, let me try to think of the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like something about the time where if they said this sentence, it means we always do this on Sunday versus we're doing this right now or we did this on one Sunday. I never heard of it and would never know either. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, heck yeah, this needs to be a thing. If the stenographer doesn't know that that means one thing, it could change the entire situation. Well, I'm even reminded of, you know, and I don't think it just uh, uh, pertains to, you know, the black community. I think there are a lot of different communities with their own sure. way, you know, I'm Slang even thinking and- of your husband and like all of <laughs> right. the stuff that we were talking about a couple weeks ago about like how this is actually rude and, you know. Yeah, because we like to think as human beings that if we look at something, for example, that I see the same thing that you see mm-hmm. or that I hear the same thing you hear and that is just not the case. Not the case at all. And we're really drawn to that idea because humans want stability and certainty and truth, but that's really a fluid thing. Yes. Ooh. Um, so what's their solution? Just that there, there could be classes taught to the people mm-hmm. doing this work so that they have a better understanding of the way language is constructed in these other communities yes. beyond the, yes. their own. One thing that's that good. is given a lot of time to construct is Joybird Furniture. Mm-hmm. Don't I know it? But not more time than the other ones because that stuff arrived pretty, pretty quickly for me. <laughs> no, right. I just mean that the craftsmanship ah, is yes. really solid. And I, that's one thing, like, when this is an online furniture company, when you're looking at it, you it's beautiful, the colors are great, and you can customize the furniture to your preferences. But I can also confirm, because I own them and use them in my house, that mm-hmm. it's super solid construction. And that's not always the case. We talked about that a few weeks ago about online shopping. You yep. can make oh, mistakes. Totally true. Good point. <laughs> but this is really strong, really beautiful. It will last your lifetime. 
and like I said, you can yes. customize it. And it's kid-friendly and it's pet-friendly. Um, they have different upholstery options to uh, accommodate those needs. And and it looks great on Instagram. like As you can pictures. see on my Instagram feed, <laughs> all my right? beautiful furniture. It's just, I always say, I always have this thing where I'm like, they just don't make things like they used to. Well, Joybird mm-hmm. actually does. <laughs> yep. So you can see how Joybird is revolutionizing online furniture shopping. Create the furniture that brings you joy, spark some joy today at joybird.com slash brain candy. Go to joybird.com slash brain candy and receive an exclusive offer for 25% off your first order by using code brain candy. Joybird.com slash brain candy. And that's code brain candy as well for 25% off. Mm. Um, I just wanted to add about that sort of black English thing Mm -hmm. in the project that I'm doing with the criminals Mm -hmm. that sometimes I'll try to find certain people's Facebook page. Um, Mm -hmm. If they're a lesser known newer criminal, you can often find that they have a Facebook page and they're often public rather than private. And Mm -hmm. reading through some of those posts, I I got the same. That's what reminded me that I had read that article because I was like, I'm not sure what this mm. post says because I'm not familiar with that slang or the the verbiage. Um, and I really wish I could. Like, if you could take a class in black English, I would mm-hmm. love to do that. Mm-hmm. Just to Just know, know more. Yeah, know more. Yeah. Also, I feel like sometimes when I'm hanging around your family, I need a class in Pittsburgh English. <laughs> so. Right. So I'm like, pull, pull. What are they saying? <laughs> Right. I mean, it does really go beyond just race or, you know, whatever. It's where you grew up and who you're married to, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like you don't have an accent, though. You know, a lot of people ask me if I'm from the Midwest or or like... Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. The one word you say that I think is funny is milk. Milk. Because you say it like with an A almost. Milk. (laughs) Or an E. Yeah, Yeah, I do. Yeah. With Why do you think that is? Pillow. Um, I don't know. Every time you say it, know. it tickles me. And you know, I am definitely the one of those people who I like absorb the accents of anybody I'm hanging around. <laughs> right. It's like the empathy in me. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Part of me where mm-hmm. I can't help it. I just start talking like whoever is around me so i noticed that whenever i was with kahada that i was more inclined to have a little bit of a twang (laughs) yep or say things like well does a duck with one leg swim in a circle (laughs) yes yes it does kahada yes it does (laughs) um sort of combining our two topics of fashion and people of color i read this awesome article in the new york times about it was an op-ed from a black woman who was saying that her mom wears fur mm-hmm. and that it's it shouldn't be viewed as, you know, how people are down on fur right now mm-hmm. because it's cr- people perceive it as cruel to wear. Mm-hmm. And she was arguing that basically as soon as black people were able to start mm-hmm. getting to a point mm-hmm. where they could afford fur, then white people were like, nope, it's Ugh. terrible. You shouldn't wear it. Gosh. What's your thought on that? Yeah. You know, I can see that. I mm-hmm. kind of do feel like, yeah. who are we to say, you know? Well, like, I do wonder, we, as I was reading I, the article, yeah. I was like, why, 
Why is the fur thing such a big deal, but leather isn't? That's true. Is there That's a reason? Does really it just seem as less humane for some reason? I have no idea. I do not know about this, any of this stuff. With the, right. And, you know, I don't have any friends who are real, like, fur <clears throat> activists or... Well, there's you know, nobody wearing PETA. fur out here because it's never cold enough. Oh, that's true. That's totally true. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, so I don't really know about all that. Or I've never I even, even had conversations about that out here. Right. It's sort of like, yeah, I don't buy fur. I mean, I, I never really had to come to some conclusion about it. I just never bought it. Um, but I just feel like white people should not tell any person of color how to live their life for <laughs> at least the next 1,000 to 2,000 years. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> well, like it. Well, I had I also read an article on, kind of on the same subject about um, cashmere and how cashmere becoming so popular has been become kind of a problem for the ah. the whatever sheep that make the cashmere because <laughs> it's a very yeah, what, specific is that process. A, I don't know anything about that either. Is it a specific sheep? Is it yeah, like, or is and, it a different animal? No, it, I mean, I suppose there are different kinds, but it's sheep, but th- it's certain ones, and mm-hmm. we're kind of overusing it. Yeah. And so we're kind of like running out, and it's becoming like a problem, and I just, you just never ah. think, this is why consumer, they tell you to be more aware as a consumer of what you're yeah. buying. It's hard to keep up, though. Oh, my God. It is so true. <laughs> and what's the solution to raise the price of cashmere or... Some um, companies are creating types that are more sustainable and that are more responsible, and it probably is pricier. But Mm. it's also one of those things where it's like white people problems or like wealthy people problems or something where, okay, yeah, if you have all the time in the world to find the perfect cashmere outlet. (sighs) True. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but it all felt like a little, like, much. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that for sure. But I would like to find out, though, what is the diff? Is leather, do they kill them better? Yeah, or, like, is the leather that we use all just, I mean, because we eat a lot of beef. Right. So what do they do with all those hides? Is that where, is this, like, a nice reusable? Right, like they use all the parts. Yeah. Maybe. Like we don't use this, so we send it to the leather companies, and then they use it. And you know. the the op ed about fur though was sort of being like, you know, they go into the these minks or whatever the heck they are go into this room where they're gassed. And what? Yeah, that's how they kill Wait, them. Wait, like the animal goes into the yeah. room and it's... Okay. Oh, right, because they can't have any... Oh, Jesus. Ugh. And so it said it took about a minute or two minutes for the whole thing to... Oh, to, that's a lot of suffering. <laughs> Sarah. I know. But it also pointed out how um, in the black community, you, there's oh. still a tradition of dressing up for church. And when you go mm-hmm. to a funeral, you wear your fur, or you wear your best... Mm-hmm hat and there's mm-hmm. more of a sense of like doing things properly in that way and that yeah. there's a bigger legacy than just yeah. oh conspicuous consumption here's this yeah, i was just gonna yeah. say it's like no, the, i think the consumption level is is lower too it's like one thing when you're like you know you've got that piece that's you know 
used for those special occasions and yes. it's real important to you. Maybe it's been handed down to yes. you. It's like you're going to, it's like almost like an heirloom because those jackets will say stay so nice. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you've got like closets full of them and like, you know, like F you. I didn't even know this, that apparently at Barney's or Nordstrom or somewhere, probably Barney's, um, they have a room where if you have a fur coat, you can rent like a spot on the rack and it's a climate controlled room so that in the summer your fur doesn't get ruined. Oh my God. Who knew? God. Can you believe that? Imagine if that was the biggest problem you had, worrying (laughs) if your furs get ruined during the (laughs) sweltering heat. God. Right. I'm on vacation and, you know, wherever, so I'm not going to need this fur. Right. So I did learn a lot. I will tell you that. I don't know how I feel about fur, but I did learn a lot. Yeah. Well, I have a nice artificial or faux leather or uh, uh, leather and leopard jacket, and I'll probably wear that. Yeah. I got a big fuzzy leopard jacket a little bit ago. I love it. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. yeah, remember you when we really went out nice and I was like, "Hey, sh- should I get one of those big jackets? Are they cool?" And you were like, "Well, they're on trend." That's true. That's yes. true. Very yep. stylish. And Super. it's I mean, it's kind of still cold out, so it definitely up. is. I went to go put the le- the jacket on uh, as I was like going to the clinic the other day, and I was like, mm, "This is too much. <laughs> Nobody wants a therapist in a in, you know that looks like I could also be in a music video." Yeah. <laughs> Pump the brakes on that fashion. Yeah. yeah. Also, pump the brakes on high interest rates. Yeah. Enough of those. Enough, enough of those. I know a lot of people are sick and tired of paying high interest rates on their credit cards if they even know what their interest rates are. Are you sick and tired of paying high interest rates on your credit cards? Want to consolidate multiple credit card payments down to one payment at a lower rate? Then Lightstream is a no-brainer. You can refinance your credit card balances with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. You get a rate as low as 6.14% APR with auto pay. There are zero fees. You can apply online in minutes. So easy, you don't even need to leave your house. And if you want to save even more, our listeners get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get the discount is to go to lightstream.com slash braincandy. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash brain candy. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply. And offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash brain candy for more information. Sweet deal. Sweet deal. Remember how we were talking? Well, I was inspired or, or reminded of a story and then like went and researched it to find out like it was this true remember how we had the guy on here talking about food and people's eating habits yeah. that was so great by the way i loved hearing what he had to say yeah um so thank you for that wonderful in- interview susie of course all then it reminded me of a story i had heard a long time ago about the inventor of vaseline yes i'm into Have it he- yes no okay, i haven't so heard i'm just excited you haven't heard of this story no okay so his name was Sir Robert Cheeseborough, bro, something like that, C-H-E-S-E-B-R-O-U-G-H. He started his career as a chemist who was refining like oil from sperm oils, and from that he discovered petroleum. And then he did, like refined it or whatever he did, and he like made petroleum jelly, which then he named Vaseline. And he was like taking it around to, you know, 
chemists shops and every but everybody is like this new invention that will protect you from burns and cuts or whatever and heal your skin and everybody was like mm, no so he went to new york to demonstrate the product and he had like this large crowd i don't know what where where this was maybe it's some sort of like medical device convention that they had in like the 1860s and in front of this huge crowd he burnt his skin over a, like a flame or acid or whatever and then applied this petroleum jelly over it to d- demonstrate like oh look at how it'll heal it and then in 19 or 1870 he finally was able to patent it and it became more popular and he was like talking about it and he claimed and and that he had so much faith in the product he ate a spoonful of it every morning no and apparently this is a real real thing and he lived to be 96 years old what wait yeah. why was he eating it though he said that it like you know was a healthy item and didn't have anything bad in it and like i don't know if it was like coated the lining of your stomach so made digestion mm. easier mm. but who knows for him he ate a freaking spoonful of it every morning do you think that it was the same as the stuff you could buy now yes, yes no totally 100 percent. it's the same it's the same recipe thing. recipe yep you could eat that Yes, you can. In fact, I think I have eaten it. Why? I think when I was little, I, I, I definitely, like my aunt or, or grandma or whoever always had me keep a jar of Vaseline in my nightstand to put on my nails when I went to bed for like soft cuticles. I, I don't do that. I should though because I have dry cuticles. Um, maybe that was like a family thing that they were like trying to, you know, warn me about. You need this. <laughs> your hands are going to be dry as fuck when you're old. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. <laughs> And I should have listened. But, you know, so I think when I was little, like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I definitely was like a kid who ate stuff. And so, yeah. Wait I a minute. that's even how I learned This is story. raising questions for me about, I get that you would call it Vaseline, but that sounds like gasoline. Mm-hmm. And Maybe what it's is because it's from oil. Yeah, but then what's the V from? Freaking A, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just, it made me think because I've never thought about how it sounds like gasoline yeah, and it's petroleum. Vaseline. Yeah. Oh, That's cute. But I, but it, it seems like they combined words like ve- something with a V and then gasoline. But what the yeah. heck's the V word? I'm going to look that up. I don't know. It wow. was discovered in Titusville, Pennsylvania. So. Hey, now. It's not the name of the town it was discovered. We know that. So what do you think when he made that, what do you think made him realize, like, this is good for stuff? I, mm, maybe the consistency. Maybe he had, yeah. like, I don't know, cuts on his hands or something. And then, right. you know, it's weird, though. That really is. A lot of those yeah. stories of where stuff came from are so fun because it's never, like, intentional. Now people are always trying to develop stuff. Back then it always felt serendipitous. What do you mean by that? Like they'll, they just sort of happen upon. Yeah. Like penicillin or, or (laughs) didn't like something about cornflakes getting invented like that or. Yeah. I I mean, that guy was more into like, he really was trying to figure out how how to make money on stuff and good health and wellness. Yeah. It's weird how that breakfast cereal came from that. Like think looking for something to be easy on the stomach. Yeah. Is that it? There's like all these Mm -hmm. stories of where those things came from that are like serendipitous oh and even the microwave we were talking about that how they like they accidentally invented the microwave is this one of those times where i learned something and then now i'm learning it again and i'm excited all over yeah yeah <laughs> how the guy stood in front of some radiation thing and he had a chocolate oh bar in his pocket and it melted and <gasps> okay, he was like wait a second yeah and then they were like 
I think there's something to this. And then they started inventing the microwave. See, I'm grateful for all those accidents. Happy accidents. Yeah. I wonder what happy accident will be next. Right. That's what I mean. I think it's less common now because people are so desperate to find stuff to make money Mm -hmm. that they tend to be like, let's find this thing. And then they'll just not rest until they do. Yeah. Oh, well, good on you. I tried to, you know how kids are super into making slime now? Yeah. Oh my God. Well, we got this kit from, you know, when you redeem your tickets at like Chuck E. Cheese or wherever. Yes. And we got this slime making kit and it was terrible. Oh, I knew you would hate this. (laughs) Well, I would have loved it if it was really good and made good slime, but it was just a mess. Was it too sticky? Yeah, like it wouldn't come off your hands. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need more borax or something. More borax. Okay. I don't know the recipe, but I feel like you can make... It's like glue. Yeah. And laundry detergent. Oh. And paint and something else. Well, because this was an official kit, so it was like not telling... Like it would say, um, you know, slime glue, and then add the activator... (laughs) Right, which is the borax, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. But then, I don't know how yeah. this became a thing all of a sudden. I think it started with those ASMR videos. No. Yeah. I think the sound of that slime and stuff, and then it kind of grew from there, and then it became, you know, and kids love anything that their parents don't want them to play with. <laughs> and it's every parent's nightmare to have slime stuck to the carpet. Right. <laughs> So they're like, oh, yeah. I mean, Landon's little sister, yeah. uh, she's, I think she's like 11 or 12 now, but she's been into this for a long time. And she, yeah. I love it. She ha- makes these little videos and posts them on her Instagram. Oh, that's cute. And I honestly listen to them as like ASMR videos to go to bed because there's something extra, co- like, relaxing about a voice that I recognize. And like, yeah. something about how she does it is so relaxing to me. Wow. And then I got a message from her mom that she had watched something on like, the news about this and she was like oh my god you're right and i was like yeah i know i thank you we and your daughter have been talking about this for years because her mom doesn't have like the asmr tingly thing but the daughter and i totally do and the daughter uh, has it yes and we're talking about it like like she's so much like me it's like not even funny and so you know we're talking about how much we love it and the parents are like what the heck are they talking about and yeah i think it started from all the asmr stuff wow who knew that is but that's crazy. just my my guess you know that makes sense though because yeah it did seem to come out of nowhere that or maybe that combined also with pinterest yeah because people started posting like the homemade recipes for the slime yeah and so then i think that helped to make it spread and it's like a activity you know we we were making slime since i mean i was a camp, camp counselor at a day mm. camp uh, for the YMCA when I was like 14 and we made this with the kids then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it used to be called GAC. <laughs> right. I remember that. Yeah. So it was like, we're making GAC. Oh my God. That's cute. Which is a way cooler word. <laughs> it is. Slime is yeah. not the best it, word. It, what, were there branding problems with, with GAC <laughs> and they needed, they needed to rebrand it? <laughs> um, Another great word is stamps, stamps stamps.com, as a matter of fact. And why I love it is because 
you don't have to leave your house or your office in order to ship all your stuff. So all of my letters that I send to, you know, my penitentiary pals. Oh my and gosh, so great. All of our book club stuff that I have to send out, it all comes from stamps.com and I don't even have to leave my office. So I just print out the postage. You can calculate it exactly so you're not going to overpay. For any package letter or class of mail, right from your computer and printer, put it on the package and throw it in your mailbox and then just goodbye. And there it is at the person's house. Mm-hmm. And um, with stamps.com, you save five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Come on. Yes. It's a no brainer. That's why I use stamps.com. It's so convenient and easy. And right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and a digital scale see for yourself why over 700,000 small businesses use stamps.com just go to stamps.com click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in brain candy that's stamps.com and enter brain candy sarah mm-hmm. we have a guest today mm-hmm. oh i love a guest i think you're going to be very excited yes tell me everything this guy dr chris mm-hmm. donahue is the author of a book called Rebel Love, Breaking the Rules, Destroy Toxic Habits. Sorry, Break the Rules, Destroy Toxic Habits, and Have the Best Sex of Your Life. Well, okay. <laughs> if you say so. Sold. Um, he ho- hosts the Amber Rose Show uh, okay. with Dr. Chris. Yes, the number one podcast in sex and dating. And here's what's really cool about him. He is one of these people that's like, self-acceptance is everything. Anonymous yes. sex can be a relationship in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, that's I, shocking. I love this. I can't wait to hear everything he has to say. And he is a person that says sexuality is fluid. So he's mm-hmm. all for like, stop putting labels on stuff. Do whatever yes. you want as long as it's consensual, you know, and everyone's having fun. There are no rules, which, you know. Yes. I'm interested in hearing his point of view. And you know what? Controversially, he believes that there's not something called sex addiction, which surprised me. Mm. Which, don't you think that's surprising? Well, it's not in the DSM because the DSM agrees. That it's, how, why is that, how is that possible? Well, usually, I mean, if from what we learn Mm -hmm. is a lot of times, uh, Things like quote unquote sex addiction comes from uh, early childhood exposure to like almost like hypersexualization at a young age and brain mapping kind of getting confused. Yeah. Like, oh, hy- like sexualization on a brain that is too young to really understand that mm-hmm. and that it's not like another addiction where you're like genetically predisposed to alcoholism, say. Mm. You know, it has more to do, it's more of environmental and, uh, so you would say uh, it's more of like a habit circumstantial. Yeah. Kind of like that. And you can work to break those, um, you know, and really it's, it's like a, a, a self-worth thing, you know, Mm. that, that total self-acceptance is really important because the, the need, the intention, the need for the sex is different when Mm. it's like, I need this because I don't love myself and I need to get love from sex versus 
I am a sex positive person who loves myself and I'm going to make healthy choices and, you know, enter into a relationship because it feels good and because it's consensual and, you know, it's not doing anything. It's not harming me or there's nothing negative coming from it. But if you go into that with like this need to fill a hole that, that, you know, can't be filled and you just think like, you know, I don't mean that sexually. I mean that like, you know this part of you that you're like looking for something because there's something missing that yeah. you'll never get that from sexual encounters. You need to first look at yourself and, and what's going on in your life and how can you have fulfillment in your life and then include the sex and the relationships and all that. Yeah. But if your life is fulfilled, then yeah, go out, get it, do it. You know, it's like, what, a, what, what's that driving force? And if there's well, shame and all that that comes with it, then yeah. you, know, you got to explore that. Well, Dr. Chris is definitely in agreement with you about being sex positive and mm-hmm. to not having that shameful experience with regard to sexuality. So it's it was really fun to talk to him and yes. I think his message is important. So again, his book is called Rebel Love, Break the Rules, Destroy Toxic Habits and Have the Best Sex of Your Life. It's a tall order, but welcome Dr. Chris to the show. All right, Dr. Chris, you're on the spot here on Brain Candy. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I am totally intrigued by your whole career, so I don't know how to begin. But um, let's start with Rebel Love, the book that you have coming out, and why you decided to to write it. Yeah, so the book dropped last week. And, you know, uh, I guess naively I sometimes feel as though we've made a lot of progress. And then I have these profound (laughs) moments, whether... It's, you know, people calling into my radio show or the podcast or just out in the world at a dinner party, which P.S. is where I get some of the best, (laughs) best stuff, right? (laughs) It's so real Um, because I literally, literally, without fail, every dinner party, someone pulls me aside at some point and they're like, hey, can I ask you something? I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. The confessional. it, it totally, totally is like, you know, no matter where I am, it becomes one. So I just wanted to create a resource that was really accessible that kind of called out a lot of the problems and try to, you know, provide solutions because the, one of the main theses of my book is just that, you know, when people follow the standard norms of what are expected within sex and dating, they're bad, they're wrong, they're outdated. Um, and so just trying to kind of create a new, better vision. Yeah, it seems like a lot of your goal is about undoing crappy stuff that we've all bought into for a really long yes. time. Yes. And that's a big job. It's a big job and the work never stops um, because so many people's careers, you know, without even meaning to kind of reinforce a lot of problems. And so there's a lot of great people doing a a lot of great work within sex, dating, psychology, relationships, but there's also a lot of people who built careers and platforms on just keeping the same problematic, you know, ideas going, and so that throws us off. I mean, we have the shows like The Bachelor, which is just so problematic. I mean, you know, it's sexist. <laughs> it sets men and women up to feel as though they have to compete, and as though there's not enough for everyone, and we're throwing people under the bus. And then I see this work by some of these celebrities who I don't know why but pull stuff out of their ass and they write these dating books or these dating coaches that are just so sexist and they're throwing feminism and women like decades behind with telling them that they have to you know act a certain way to earn a man or to be taken seriously and they have to delay having sex or else you're not wife material and it's like it's 2019 right. and it's all about <laughs> it's all about sexual empowerment for everyone but it's also about getting away from sexism and gender norms and I'm a big advocate for women's sexual empowerment and 
that means being seen as not quote-unquote wife material because they don't want a traditional husband who demands things like that to be taken seriously. And so my work is very sex positive, body positive, and again, just trying to like push us forward. Yeah, I really, I started to read your book this weekend and I was so impressed with it and just the message in general. I'm hoping that it gets absorbed into the ethos. But you, like I said, you have your work cut out for you because this is ingrained in our culture and our systems. And so what's like a practical way that we can sort of spread the word? I mean, you're doing God's work by writing these books, but (laughs) like how can normal people just sort of take yeah. on this message there's a couple ways number one and i try to highlight this in the book but also just no matter where i am that social media is such a powerful influencer for how we see ourselves how we see other people what we think is uh desirable and sexy and hot and so just pay attention to what you're immersing mm. yourself in because it's not just this page i follow on instagram it's this page and other pages that i'm seeing many hours a day and they are constructing for me an understanding of who I need to be and how and what people want and so unfollow some of that crap like I tell people unfollow things that make you feel bad unfollow things that don't reflect back your values and ethics and who you want to be and then the second piece is also really pay attention to your social network um and that kind of comes up with advice that they give but also even body positivity where i say to people tell your friends let's stop talking about our bodies and diet culture or let's start talking to each other from our best let's not keep the bar low like hold me accountable to doing better don't let me off the hook so much or let's not call other people um slutty because they're sexually empowered. Like it's all about just, again, taking control over the environment you're around. And so I always say zero in on the social piece, uh, friends and also social media. That is such good advice. And it, it really does disturb me that like when we describe this system that's sort of sexist, but then you see that, for example, with The Bachelor or the, the diet conversations, women are often uh, immersed in it and like supportive of it, even though it works against their interests. And I'm wondering why you think that's the case. I think a lot of people don't know that there's other options or other visions or other ways to be. Um, For some people, some of these healthier concepts that people like me and other people are trying to put out there, they're foreign to people because they don't have access to them. There's nothing else in their life that's telling them things like, it's okay to be fat. It's okay mm-hmm. to love your fat body. It's okay to have sex with the body you currently have. It's okay if you're female to ask for the sex you want or to carry condoms and for the guy to think maybe you're quote-unquote slutty because you practice sexual health and wellness. So it's, again, like people aren't aware or they don't have good role models. And so they're trapped in just the same repetitive thinking. Um, and that's why I go after the people that are responsible for that. I will call out authors and dating coaches and TV shows that are not providing these better perspectives and options. And I think that's why I love still practicing as a therapist is that I get to help hold people's hands through that and remind them that there's other ways to be and that there's other people living that and and, and doing it in sustainable, awesome ways. Or I can remind them that I'm working with a multitude of people that do want something better and different and that the whole world doesn't operate the way that they thought it had. And so again, I think it's just that they haven't really encountered or had experience with other ways of thinking or seeing. I mean, I didn't. It took me a lot of work to live in the world in the way I did. And I had to read a lot. And that's number one thing. People have to read more. You have to find resources and immerse yourself for hours in new thinking. Again, the world will not provide it and hand it out freely and easily. The world will pull you back from 
from that. I mean, that's what's my most profound teacher is some of the authors I read. And without them, I'd be trapped thinking like most people. Well, you, even though your book is new, you've been preaching this message for a long time. Yes. And I imagine you get trolled. Do you get a lot of like backlash? Uh, I, I, I do. You know, it's fascinating. So when it first started happening, it was against my sex positivity and how I promote people having the sex they want because that's just part of self-esteem. I'm, I'm pro-porn. I'm pro-sex worker. I'm pro-trans. Like I'm pro-anything minority. I'm anti-any form of oppression. And so I'd get trolled and people would say like, you are responsible single-handedly for the demise of our culture, you know? And it's like, wow, <laughs> that's a profound statement. But okay, I sure, you know, see me so empowered, but... A couple of things I learned quickly. So through some of the friends I have that have far larger platforms than I have, they've reminded me that, yo, uh, if it hurts, then you need more of it because it means you haven't gotten trolled enough. And when you put yourself <laughs> out there, expect a lot of it. And so get ready. See every troll is a gift of like hardening you up a little bit. But also more importantly, they were like, and this was so profound, that means you're doing good work because you're trying to challenge what the majority of our culture does and thinks. And so you need that. And if you're not getting trolled or pushed back, you're probably not being as radical or as revolutionary as you want to be or think you are. Because for me, I'm trying to rattle it. I'm trying to shake the cage. Like I want people to be challenged and uncomfortable. And so the trolling's a sign that like I'm fucking doing it. <laughs> well, and I'm sure you hear a lot of the other side too, where people say you changed my mind and you had an influence yes. on me. So that's probably more rewarding. It, it really is. And that's probably the most beautiful thing of all that I do. And somehow magically the universe will often send me that email or that tweet or that DM on the day when I need it most where I'm tired. I'm not feeling motivated. I don't think like I'm doing enough. I don't think my work's impactful. I think the whole world's going to shit. And then that little email comes in from someone in usually some foreign country or small, inaccessible rural area. And they say something like, you know, thank you for doing the work you do. I feel less alone or thank you for helping me learn to love myself finally. And just this Mm. simple statement of impacting this one person so profoundly is so motivating. And it's such a gift that I get to have. And you as well, like you're, you're doing media as well. And so we have to remind ourselves that we're important for people and people need us to exist. And um, I hope you get feedback as well, but it's those little moments that keep me going. Yeah. I mean, that makes it all worth it, but you're, you know, in this field that is so people take it so seriously and get so mad about it. And so I imagine that your haters are really noisy. Um, and <laughs> like whatever you're saying, like, Hey, people should have sex as often or as little as they want to, and just yes. go with what, what meets their needs. It, that to them is what? What are they? What are they so They're scared of? Scared. It's twofold. So there's the people in my own field that have never thought outside the box because you know in psychology you're raised to believe there's a truth, and that truth is created by white cis hetero men, and so it's aligned with what they want and what they think and what they see. And these younger generations, I love them, have are having none of it. They are like, <laughs> I am no gender. I'm every gender. I forget sex. You know, forget sexism. Like, it's so profound looking at the millennials and what they're doing. So long story short, my field is nervous because they're Mm. used to being so powerful and they're used to being a quote unquote expert and people like me are taking the power away from them and we're making them work harder and we're making them think deeper and more powerfully. But then there's also celebrities like Piers Morgan, who I've gotten into a couple Twitter battles with who just... 
He's the worst. God bless him. He is the worst. He's an example of like what I'm trying to get us away from because that man just wants everything centered around the way he sees the world. He doesn't want to center anything that's not male driven. You know what I mean? Like he, he loves that, that sexism. He doesn't like anything that's not heterosexually centric because he thinks anything outside of that is just problematic and pathological. And, you know, he's just holding on tightly. God bless him. And so it's <laughs> people like him, those are the loud ones, but um, they just make me work harder. Sometimes I wonder with people like him, I'm thinking, do they really believe this drivel or did they just see it as a way to make their career last five more minutes yeah it's definitely required because someone like him otherwise would be so neutral and not get as much attention yeah because nothing else he's doing is that meaningful and i think it becomes a trap because he gets so much attention albeit negatively most you know most of the time but um it, it feeds the ego and so it becomes his branding and when you're in the media your branding is everything and you really start to buy into it and so if yeah he would lose a lot of this if he didn't about face and decided to be right. a really compassionate, intelligent person. Um, so it's all tied in for sure. It's heartbreaking. I can't imagine building a career on perpetuating hate and oppression. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a he's a small man, but regardless, let's focus on the positive here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> one of the things in your book that I was surprised to see was um, when you talk about sexuality being uh, having fluidity. Right. And I'm wondering, tell me more about that. What What is your view? Yeah. So one thing I've realized through doing this work for going soon on like two decades and having worked with hundreds upon hundreds of hours of people's sexuality and touring the country is that everyone's more sexually fluid than they realize. Even mm. the people that are so confident in who they are sexually. Again, I speak broadly. I'm not talking just what we you know, traditionally call sex orientation, which is just like what gender you like. I mean, in the most broad of all broad senses, very few of us have been able to either honestly with ourselves acknowledge all the different kinds of things that turn us on, all the different things, scenarios, sights, smells, sounds. Mm -hmm. But we also... If we've, if we've been able to do that work, which again, few have, we also struggle in our culture to really proudly ask for that or to seek that or to create that with our partners because our sexuality in our culture, we're so hyper-obsessed with, hyper with sex, but we're also so afraid and avoidant of it that we don't know how to properly put it out there. And so everyone I work with, part of our work has been about them really fully embodying their totality of sexuality uh, because we can't have full-on self-esteem if we, if we don't have all parts of ourselves acknowledged and the shame removed. And sex is always the one area that that exists still. And so... It's, we're bigger than we think we are. And I think part of working on yourself therapeutically or trying to understand who you are is, is doing the sexual piece. And again, that's always left out as not meaningful or relevant. And, um, mm. and it is. And so I want my work and my book to have people just carry that question forward and say to themselves, what part of my sexuality have I not acknowledged to myself or to other people? What are the things that turn me on or things I want to try or do, which aren't just these small little things like, oh, the thing I do in the bedroom, our sexuality is with us all day long. You know, I tell people, your sexuality and eroticism is what you chose to wear today. That's your sexuality. It's how close you stand to someone in line at the coffee shop or if you make eye contact or if you don't. It's it's how you talk to people. It's it's always operating on us. It's always engaged. Our fantasy life is always moving. We're always being oriented towards things that turn us on. Um, we have to kind of incorporate it all in. So I just tell people, do that work. Just really sit with these parts that we try to disown. And if you're in a relationship, do the work of really building true authentic 
authenticity and intimacy by sharing that, asking for that. Even if you're told no, there's something powerful in acknowledging its existence and just standing behind it. Well, I also saw that um, something, I, I was doing research for this interview and I saw that someone was worked up about you saying that um, there's no such thing as sexual addiction. Is that accurate? <laughs> it is accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Do people get mad? Like you, you're saying you don't believe in that and they're mad about it. Is that right? Yeah, this is this is this is one of the topics that tends to burn me out the most. Um like because it's the one that creates the biggest battle. Um there's so many sides to it and I guess to boil it down it's just clinically I was raised doing sex addiction work. So I spent four years getting trained under the, the the forefathers of the field and the big names, the big four who still run the treatment centers and write the books. And so mm. I'm very familiar with who they are. I'm very familiar with where all these things came from. I'm very familiar with why them doing this work is important. And I'm not denying people's struggle with sexuality. Like, my God, I am all about healing um healing people it's just the model we use is problematic because when we use that word sex addiction which is not an appropriate word used for sexuality because you can't be addicted to sex just like you can't be addicted to breathing it's something as i point out earlier that's always operating on us um the model of treatment becomes quite sexually anorexic and really 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 does some problematic things and it also shames diverse forms of sexuality. So I get burned out because I've written so many professional articles about it. I tell people, I'm not going to sit here on Twitter and explain whatever <laughs> you published. Go, okay. go read my articles. But, you know, bigger than that, I was saying to them, you know, the drugs and alcohol, which are a true addiction, people can't stop. And they'll show up to work, to parties, to dates, to my office, drunk or high. We have never seen someone in Starbucks masturbating because they can't stop. We've never, I've never gone into my waiting room and there's someone having sex on the couch there waiting because they can't stop. It's just hard to stop. But we do. That's why you don't see it happening out in the world. It's very difficult. It's compulsive. And so... I empathize with that. I work with that. They come into my office. It's it's truly the model of treatment that I'm attacking. Right. And yeah, you dared to like have nuance about your understanding. And that's totally. really inconvenient. They want it to be black and white, right? Totally. And And again, you know, the people who are making money off this treatment don't want to lose that. They are right. very expensive treatment centers. And I always point out also, in, just in closing up this topic, that every single, every single mental health organization has rejected it. And it's just so bold and patronizing for these random people to go up against the research of the diagnostic manual, the insurance companies, the American Psychological Association, the sex therapy certification. Like all these organizations are like, yeah, we've done the work. It's not the right word to use. And then there's people that are like, yeah, well, I know better. You know, I just decided on my drive here, I pulled it out of my ass. I just don't agree. It's like, <laughs> you know, do the work, do the research, do some clinical experience with it, circle back, then your opinion will have a little more weight to it. But it's, it, we sling that word around too problematically. All right. Fair enough. I just wanted to Get the, get the scoop on that. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> and here's what I want to know more generally speaking is from what, what is the genesis of your interest in this field to begin with? Yeah, it's such a strange journey. I wish I had this one powerful defining moment, but it's been a slow build. You know, I entered hmm. the psychology, um, did a doctoral program in general psych, and I just wasn't finding the work that dynamic or interesting. Um I considered getting into law or something else, but then I started working in sex addiction 
And I found it really profoundly interesting. But then I saw that I was shaming through the sex addiction model a lot of healthy, diverse, creative things that me and my friends were doing sexually. We were having maybe open relationships or friends that were paying for sex or people that were geared towards more kinky things. And these are all the things that the sex addiction world was saying are signs of sex addiction. So I then got trained to as a sex therapist, which is a more health-based model, far more intellectually driven and academic. And that's about a three to five-year process or more. And then I really got an understanding of sex. Because again, the sex addiction people aren't trained. They have no training in human sexuality or sex therapy. They go through this like weekend warrior course. It's really bullshit. Where... (laughs) Sex therapy is this like vast multi-year thing where you learn biology, anthropology, neurology, and it's so stunning. So my work kind of became about pushing back on all these really problematic norms and values that everyone's being held accountable to, but aren't really honest. And, you know, the studies always show that, you know, these 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 vanilla forms of sex that we call normal, like 25% of us are doing that. When you look at the research <laughs> right, or the right. search terms in porn, we are all kinky as hell. If you look <laughs> at like the top search terms, like we are all very kinky. We just don't talk about it. So it's like, it's normal to be kinky. It's actually abnormal and not common to be very vanilla. Like no one's going looking for porn where they're like, <laughs> I want to watch porn that's With family values. Yeah. In love, family values, on the bed, in the bed. <laughs> Bedroom on a Saturday morning, smiling and happy search. No one's looking for that, right? So that's profound. So, my so you're saying be- like it's so everybody's kinky, get over it. Pretty much. And yeah. so my work kind of became about let me let me do the sex therapy and the relational therapy, but let me also bring this activistic component, my feminism in, and just really do it to make it social justice and end oppression and just use my platform to make people feel normal. Like that's really what it is for me at the end of the day. I want minority people, creative, diverse people, people that aren't part of the majority to feel okay, to feel legitimate. Um, That's it. Right. I mean, it's very helpful though to people. Like even I think on our show, we've talked about like polyamory and things like that. And I'm always like, I don't get it, but I, it's just cause it's not in my life, but it's so important to hear about it and to learn about other people's choices and things they're into. And that's one of the most powerful things is, you know, polyamory, and these open styles are really meaningful to a lot of my clients that are failing at monogamy. You know, monogamy has, yeah. depending on the studies you look at, a 50 to almost 70% failure rate. We have to stop blaming the individual person and say nothing else on our planet that had that much of a failure rate would we keep doing. We would literally say, huh, maybe try <laughs> something else. If 50 to 70% of people that try said thing, it doesn't work. Like you got to blame the thing, not the person. And so <laughs> my book is about creating another vision of monogamy so that those people can do that. But also saying, if you really struggle with it and you're a compulsive cheater, stop trying. Just ask for an open relationship. Be polyamorous. Like those are acceptable ways of being. It's maybe more aligned with your characterological style or the traumas you've gone through. It's okay. Well, and one of my favorite things that you talk about is how you're like dismantling this idea that men are from Mars, women are from Venus. That's archetype and you just do you're like nope we're not (laughs) you're not into (laughs) it (laughs) (laughs) and i just wonder like what has been the reaction to, to you saying that that has been 
probably that's probably the number one thing I get attacked for or pushed back okay. on. Sex addiction is probably the number two. I have battled so many people on different media platforms because they've never thought beyond that. And they really, really have built their work around that. So their book is about, you know, the women women's sexuality. And I'm like, really? All women in one book? Like you you, you know, <laughs> we have to think intersexually, like a white poor, drug-addicted 15-year-old woman is a very different woman and a very different sexuality than a wealthy, black, lesbian, whatever kind of woman. Like, we have mm-hmm. to stop using these two terms. Like, they can be universalized. Like, yeah. what man are you speaking of? You can't just say a study showed that all men. Like, whoa, what? <laughs> all of them? <laughs> it's wild. And then what about people that are trans or non-gendered? Where do right. they fit? So, I obnoxiously say, and I own that, if you're writing your books and you're still just referencing men and women, you're outdating yourself. You are not relevant to millennials, and we're going to laugh at your book real soon. So stop it up and start talking in terms of non-binary, different kinds of women. Like We have to really evolve that, and I'm so bummed by the people in psychology that haven't caught up yet. They're still using these terms as though there's just two kinds of people in the world, and it's a lie. It's just not honest because there aren't, you know? Yeah. Anytime anything is caught up in like culture and religion and politics, it's going to be slow to change, I assume. Totally. I mean, I can just only speak really for psychology, but we're a good decade uh, (laughs) plus behind. I mean, my goodness, I speak at all these universities and I tell them what you're learning now is awesome, but it's not relevant to the work you can go out and do. It's about 10 years, 15 years behind. And so I try to give them resources of what's happening now. And I tell them what's going to come into the office because they're still reading textbooks on men and women. And I say to them, yeah. what about someone who's non-gender? What about someone who's trans? What about someone who's uh, polyamorous? They will come in. How do you address that? You're not learning about that. And so that's why I try to use my work to kind of like fill in that gap. Well, thank God you're doing it. I mean, oh, yeah. that's, we need somebody in our corner. <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> the uh, last question I'll ask is something we ask everybody, which is, uh, what do you keep in the trunk of your car, Dr. Chris? Oh, that's phenomenal. Uh, you know what? I have absolutely not nothing in the trunk of my car and that says everything (laughs) what are you talking about there's nothing in my car period (laughs) is this intentional do you have a thing i do i do i have a thing about space i also i've actually never said this publicly i also do not use or have anything in the left side of my refrigerator so if you open the left (gasps) side door it's empty what yes what is your deal I couldn't tell you. I haven't unpacked it, but I have. I have a sensitivity to use of space and order. Oh my heavens, that is fascinating. <laughs> yes, it freaks people out. They'll open the right side of the refrigerator, full of stuff. Yeah. Open the left side, and it's just empty and clean and sitting there. And they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "I don't know." I don't know. That's really something. I'll have to yeah. think about it and do an analysis. Please, let me know. <laughs> well, I hope everybody checks out Rebel Love. It is really exciting to see the work that you're doing, and hopefully, Thank people you. will start to embrace it. And I'm sure that you're getting lots of great feedback. Yeah, thank you for the work you're doing as well. I mean, have doing the work you're doing is just a powerful part of creating change, so thank you. Yay, you're off the hook. <laughs> thank you so much. Of course. Talk to you soon, Dr. Okay, Chris. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. 